0: we pray. Amen. Well, happy Reformation Sunday. And what a blessing it is to to have baptismal candidates on Reformation Sunday. And it's a blessing also, the children that will be baptized this morning all belong to Sean and Jennifer Oliver. Uh, Amelia trusted Christ during VBS And Josh and Jacob trusted Christ at children's camp. Thank the Lord for our uh, outreach efforts, for our in-house efforts to put the gospel before our children that they may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen. Amen. Amelia. Oh, let's have your family stand. I don't know if I've ever heard of 25 people being here, but watch this. They're going to stand up. Y'all stand up and don't sit back down because you got two more, all right? All right. Amelia? Uh-huh. All right, sit down. Amelia, upon your profession of faith in our church in obedience to the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life. All right, this is Josh Oliver. Love to see these big kids trust in Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Josh, upon your profession of faith and coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we're buried with Christ through baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life and we have Jacob Oliver Jacob upon your profession of faith confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and obedience to the great commission it's my privilege to baptize you my brother in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit for we are buried with Christ through baptism we are raised to walk in units of life. Amen.
1: Amen. If you would... Uh, Please grab one of these blue cards. It's FBCO Connection card. And if you're a a first or second time guest, we would love to have your uh, record of your attendance today. Know who you are and we could get to know you. Put that in the offering plate at the end of the service or you can take it to the Connection Center. Either way, okay? So please do that. And there's also prayer requests. So don't be afraid to uh, never... skip the opportunity to fill out a prayer request. The staff and the pastor pray uh, every Tuesday morning over those. So please, uh, please do that. Well, Let's continue with the time of worship, this beautiful new hymn that's been brought to us uh, by Getty Music, he, Christ is our hope in life and in death.
2: We <laughs> said Joy. Oh. me
1: In the baptistry waters, uh, reminded us that it is Reformation Sunday, and we do owe a great uh, debt to reformers like Martin Luther. He was—he was, he was uh, you know, the most popular one, the father of it all, I guess you would say. But even a hundred years before that, people were dying for the faith because of their opposition to what the church was doing at the time—the false practices, the false way of of worshiping—and and, and uh, uh, John Wycliffe. Many of you remember that name. He was. Um, he was an outspoken critic of the church. And then later, uh, Jan Hus uh, was burned at the stake for going on against the church. And then about that same time, while, while, they, were at the, uh, while they were burning stake, uh, Hus at the stake, uh, they decided, you know, we're so mad at Wycliffe too, we're going to dig up his body and burn it too. And they did. And so there were just so many terrible things going on. And then Luther came on the heels of that. And uh, he wrote this great hymn. And let's sing it today. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Can you stand and
2: sing it with us? A mighty fortress is our God. The Prince of darkness free, we tremble not for
1: you. And uh, once again, we uh, are just in awe, Lord, of of the way you work uh, through history, through using men and women, uh, getting a hold of their hearts and changing them and using them to change the world. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the moment that uh, Luther recognized the just shall live by faith. And uh, Lord, uh, we just reestablishing that long time understanding from from scripture but had been lost and for years and and re that Lord we just give you praise and we give you thanks and uh, Lord we give today so others can recognize that they too need to live by faith they need to need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Lord we give today so our, our preschoolers and our children can learn your word uh, we give today for so many reasons um, and Lord we pray that it all goes to your glory and it's in Christ's name we pray
0: 2,000 years, our Lord's disciples have given their allegiance to the eternal kingdom of God, been faithful to the word of God, endured oppression, confronted evil, and embraced the cross without regret or retreat. In April of 1521, one of them, Martin Luther, was herded into a chamber in the German city of Worms, where his foes commanded him to renounce the authority of the scriptures over any other earthly power. Luther refused, and his words reverberate in our hearts to this day. I am tied by the scriptures, he cried. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Well, good morning. As we've tried to help you understand today, of course, is Reformation Sunday, which means it's the closest Sunday to October thirty-first, fifteen seventeen. So it's been five hundred and five years since most share the signaling of the Protestant Reformation. Let that ring in your ears, Protestant. Reformation. In other words, you being a Southern Baptist would be a product of the Protestant Reformation. There were five solas that emerged out of the Reformation. They were not necessarily slogans used by the Reformers, but these slogans are so vitally important for us doing theology. And understanding the role of the church and the priesthood of the believer and understanding salvation by grace through faith. All these things were very important. If you can recall some of those, uh, David or the song hit on one of them. Luther said, I must stand on the scripture alone, not the Catholic church and, and, and their traditions and or a private interpretation that they themselves say you have to believe. But what the Bible actually says. So that's called sola scriptura. Which means theology must be grounded in the scripture alone. The Bible. What it says to us. And then the second one would be solus Christus. Christ focused. In Christ alone. All theology must be Christ focused. And then sola fide. All of these are Latin terms. Theology must be faith-driven. You know what the Bible says about being saved by grace through faith. And then sola gratia, which is theology must be grace-saturated. We're saved by grace alone, right? And then sola dea gloria, all theology must be God-dominated. So you have those five solas that are so vitally important. That one, solus Christus is kind of the emphasis today because it led to another very important doctrine that was believed by the reformers that spread to where you are today, and that's the priesthood of the believer. So to baptist, if we say Christ is both the sole and supreme head of the church, we're good with that, right? We're like I mean, why do you have to tell us, pastor, that Jesus Christ is the sole and supreme head of the church? If, for us as Baptists, we accept that. There's only one head of the church. We have seen that in Ephesians, right? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But think about this particular statement and how it would have challenged the Catholic Pope back in 1500. Think about how revolutionary it would have been to challenge the authority of the Pope to say, no, you're not the vicar of Christ on earth, you're not the head of the church, Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So, it also ended up dismantling the idea that a human being, a man, could ever be the head of the church on earth. Solus Christus exalts Christ to his proper role. He is the head and supreme head of the church there's no human being on the planet earth that deserves that title head of the church whether it's the king of England the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Bishop of Rome no one has the title of the head of the church except Christ alone it is Jesus Christ and him alone yet out of that doctrine there emerged another doctrine that is related to it and it also dismantled Long-standing traditions for years and years and years throughout Europe. Up until, say, 1517, there was a religious caste system. Have you ever heard of that? Raise your hand. There was a religious caste system. And so the caste system was between the clergy and the laity. In medieval Europe, if you were really spiritual, then you entered a monastery and you became either a priest or a nun right it's those people that took those monastic vows and orders they were the ones that were really close to God they were the spiritual ones then you had the laity the laity were people who did things like make shoes and plow fields blacksmiths and others who just simply raised their kids because priests and nuns did not right The laity was completely and absolutely dependent on the clergy. The laity was considered to be second-class citizens. In medieval Europe, it was inconceivable to think that you could have a relationship with God apart from the priests, plural. The idea was that you had the spiritual elites, the monastics, the priests, the nuns, and then the ordinary lowly lay people who just did their work. They were told that all you need to do is have implicit faith. You know what implicit faith is? According to the teachings of Rome, it was the idea that you could have faith without knowledge and without understanding. Without knowledge and without understanding. Folks, can you think of how horrible that was to teach people for centuries that you can have faith apart from understanding and knowledge? If... if, It was blind faith and you blindly trusted in the church and those who were ordained to those offices to give you the sacraments so that you could actually be right with God even though you didn't really have a relationship yourself with Him. And so this went on for years and years. That was the spiritual life for centuries. When Luther and the Reformers came to the scene, they not only challenged the authority of the Pope, but they also challenged the traditional Clergy, laity, caste, system. Here's what one writer said about Luther. Luther slashed through the corruptions of late medieval Catholicism. The priesthood of all believers rapidly became one of the slogans of the Reformation. So this morning, let's take this biblical truth of the priesthood of all believers. And let's survey some passages today. This won't look like our exposition of Ephesians. Okay? This will look a little different. But let's remind ourselves of this concept of the priesthood of the believer. It's important for you to understand this. It's vitally important for you to understand this truth before the Lord. So, did y'all know that the priesthood of the believer did not originate in the New Testament? It actually starts in the Old Testament. So take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 19... And let me show you something from the word of God. There was an anticipation in the old. And then there was an ultimate realization in the new. Listen to the word of the Lord. We're in Exodus chapter 19. You know this is right before the giving of the law. And so. Here's what Exodus 19 says. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness there Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God now think about the picture I mean this is going to end up being pretty terrifying Sinai is going to be a picture of the awesome wonder and glory of God a mountain you don't go touch lest you die you have, we obviously know that you're going to have a priesthood that is established. And we obviously know that it, was, it began with Aaron and then to the Levites. Most specifically, however, the sons of Aaron. Yet God, in stating this, a kingdom of priests, gives an understanding that this was actually never realized in the Old Testament. Why? Why? You read Exodus 19, you read Exodus 20, and then what happens later? You have the worship of a golden calf. Right after God sets forth this covenant expectation, Israel breaks the covenant with God. God's intention was for the entire nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. And yet soon, through the golden calf incident in particular... They end up violating the very covenant of God. The expectation was not just the tribe of Levi, not just the sons of Aaron, that would be the kingdom of priests. But the entire kingdom of Israel would be a kingdom of priests. All right? Fast forward your thoughts to the text I gave you in your bulletin. 1 Peter chapter 2. All right, let's read this before I move on. Remember the Old Testament anticipation and the New Testament realization... Of the priesthood of the believer. Listen to the Bible. Chapter 2 verse 4 of 1 Peter. As you come to him. A living stone. Rejected by men. But in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones. Are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy. Say it. Priesthood. priesthood, To offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold I am laying in Zion a stone. A stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now verse 9 and 10. Check it out. But you are a... Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there's this Old Testament expectation and there is the New Testament expectation realization. So, there was also an expectation of the entire kingdom that would become a nation of prophets. So, there's a three-fold office, right, that we're building on, prophet, priest, and king. So, think about the prophet aspect. Y'all remember back in Numbers, these two dudes, other than Moses, began to prophesy. And Aaron's like, that's not kosher. So he runs to Moses and said, do you know that there are two guys over here prophesying? And what does Moses say? Would to God that all of you were prophets. And then there's the building of this prophetic office. And then we go over to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And Joel says, all your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What was the expectation? A kingdom of priests and a kingdom of prophets. Isaiah You don't have time to turn there. Just listen to this. Here's the expectation. Isaiah 61 verse 6. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of God. This never comes to fruition with Israel. But it does come to fruition in somebody. Right? Are you listening? What the son Israel failed to do and be. The son of God. ...came and fulfilled all three offices. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king. We know what the Bible says about those particular aspects. When the Son of God entered this world... ...He came to fulfill a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. In other words, everything Israel should have been... ...as God's chosen Son, Jesus Christ, as the Son... Capital S. He truly is these things. Now do we have some scriptures that teach us about the offices of Christ fulfilling prophet, priest, and king? Folks, do you know how long we could teach the Bible in one setting regarding prophet, priest, and king and Jesus Christ fulfilling those three? But if we're just thinking of the priesthood of the believer, okay? Which one would that fall under? Priest, right? Right? Prophet, priest, and king. And that's what we're thinking about, priesthood of the believer. What book would you go to to think about the priestly office of Christ? Shout it out. Hebrews, right? Now you could go to John 17, and that's a high priestly prayer. That's actually the Lord's Prayer, not Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is a model prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer, John 17. You could go to Paul's teaching on the mediatorial work of Christ out of Romans 8:34. John himself in his epistle, 1 John, speaks of the fact that he is our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yet, if you desire to read and think about the priestly function of Jesus, you will go to the book of Hebrews. Okay, Just go over there for a moment. We'll come back, but listen to chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to the word regarding the prophet. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Isn't that awesome? Moses could say, God, you've given me your word, and I have spoken your word as a prophet. Moses could never say, I am the word. But Jesus was the word made flesh. Are you listening? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward to John 1:14, and the Word was made flesh. Folks, you understand that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the Word. He is the Word. So we're reminded here, there is no greater revelation than the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let it ring true to your mind. Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. There is no greater revelation than the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for something beyond Jesus, stop it. Just stop it. He's the sum. He's the substance. He's the center. He's the circumference of the Word of God. He is the true prophet. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go and make disciples. What does that speak of? He's the king. All authority. We know the Davidic line. We know what God said in the Old Testament. We know what it says in the Christmas narratives regarding who Jesus Christ is. We know what 2 Samuel 7 says about this king who is to come. But our focus this morning is on the great high priest. So back to Hebrews 1. Listen about him. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Who created the world? There you go. The son of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And for our sermon today. Check it out. After making purification for our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become As much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Incredible. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He's the effulgence of God's glory. But keep your focus on that purification. When he did it, he sat down. What does that mean? Well, Hebrews from this point out is going to seek to prove to you... That Jesus Christ is the once for all sacrifice for sins. When he said it is finished, it was finished. And that's exactly where he's going to head. Jesus Christ is that once for all great high priest who made a sacrifice for our sins. And that sacrifice was once for all and will never be repeated. The Aaronic priesthood did it how often? Well, at least Yom Kippur, every single year on the Day of Atonement, he would go in to make a sacrifice. And then there were a multiplicity of other sacrifices done day by day by day. But we know what Hebrews says. The blood of those goats and calves could never take away sin. The fact that it was in perpetuity, the fact that it continued on, spoke of the inefficiency of that sacrificial system to ever take away sin. But let's think of the Lamb of God. Who comes into this world and he dies one time. He accomplishes it. And in that one time death, he makes an end to all our sins. Fast forward so so you see the scripture with your eyes. Okay? Pastor's not making this up. Ready? Chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings... These offered according to the law. Then he added. Behold I have come to do your will. Who's the he? It's Jesus Christ. He does away with the first. In order to establish the second. And by that will. We have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered, the Bible says, when he had offered himself once. And by that will, verse, and every priest stands daily, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father waiting from that time until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews ten fourteen, for by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. To God be the glory. That's, that's solus Christus. Christ alone. Christ alone. Their work was never done in the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus came as our great high priest. Finished his work once and for all. Offered it up. His sacrifice on our behalf. And he sat down. The song says it well, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Folks, if you don't know that, then you don't know the gospel. Please hear me, folks. If you don't know this, that he's the once for all sacrifice for your sins, that will never be repeated. And you don't need another sacrifice for your sins because it's been accomplished in Christ. If you don't know this, I'm pleading with you. Then you don't know the gospel. You don't know the heart of the gospel. If you don't know that, then you've never known peace with God. If you don't know this, then you can never have peace with God. If you don't know this, then you don't know the joy of sins forgiven and cast as far as the east is from the west. If you don't know this truth, then you don't have a foundation for this life and you certainly don't have a foundation for the life to come. You got to know this. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? you got to know this, that he's the rock. So don't forget this, okay? Old Testament anticipation was that Israel would be a kingdom of priests, prophets, and kings. Jesus comes and fully realizes what Israel could have never done. He is the prophet. He is the priest. And he is the king. What a magnificent thing. But here's the additional thing. As believers, if you are in union with Christ Jesus the Lord, then you share also in all three of those offices. Are you listening? If you're in Christ, then you share in all three of those offices. You're not Christ, and no matter what Benny Hinn says, you're not a little God either. But the same God that did not spare His only Son but gave Him up for us all, will He not with Him freely give us all things? And some of these benefits have to do with prophet, priest, and king. John Owen, great theologian, said, We are priests as we are Christians. We are partakers of a holy unction whereby we are anointed to the participation of all of Christ's glorious offices. So here is Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Now as he fulfills that, the church is now seen as a chosen race. You're seen as a royal priesthood. In other words, again, what was anticipated in the Old is fulfilled in and by the Lord Jesus Christ so that we now participate in that priesthood so that believers are now priests unto Christ. You don't need a human priest. We have a priest. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get to the book of Revelation, just out of the gate... Some of you think that eschatologically, if it's not said in Revelation, it's not true. No, I'm kidding with you. But listen. Chapter 1, verse 6. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to God and the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see it clearly? This is, if you're in union with Christ, this is what you become. So what does it mean to consider the priesthood of all believers? I want to to end it by giving you a few things to think about. Are you locked in? Number one, with the understanding of sola, solus Christus, Christ alone. That he was your great high priest and he paid the penalty for your sin. And you're in Christ if you're saved. What does that mean? It means Jesus Christ is my only mediator. There is one mediator, Paul says, between God and man. Jesus Christ the Righteous. This means that I need no other mediator because I have the only mediator which exists. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get one thing straight. I'm not your priest. Okay? I'm not your priest. I don't need to hear what your confessions are in a booth. I have no desire to share or sit by you in a booth and hear what you have to say to me. Okay? That's not my job. You already have a great high priest. You already have one if you're saved. You don't need a human priest. Our priest is Jesus Christ. And he is the only mediator between God and man. There is no need today for a priesthood class. There is no longer a class of priests in the church. We have one. His name is Jesus Christ. If I have Christ who has fulfilled the priesthood, then he is my great high priest and I need no other. Listen, folks, if you're lost today, hear me. The only way you can ever come to God is through the Son. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will ever come to the Father except through me. John 5, 1 John 5, 12. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus Christ. Look, folks, go out here today if you're saved and say, Thank you, God, that Jesus Christ is my mediator. Right number two, our priestly role in union with Christ, all right, fulfilled in Christ, realized in the church, includes being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that about yourself? First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty says, "Do you not know that your body is a young people? Listen, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body." Other texts like Ephesians, we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's 1 Peter 2.5. Ephesians 2, we are joined together and we're growing into a holy temple unto the Lord. The Bible says, in him you also are being built into a dwelling place of God by his spirit. Listen, Old Testament priests ministered in the temple. New Covenant priests are the temple. That's what the Bible says. That's good stuff whether you realize it or not this morning. Right? It's good stuff. I did did not grow up like this. But some of you grew up fearing dudes with black shirts and backward collars. If you did, this particular truth ought to thrill your soul. The temple of God is where he dwells. And he dwells in human hearts. Not temples made by hands. Praise God for that truth. Number three. Number three. Do y'all think the Reformation was important? Folks, if you've never read your history, please just don't sit idly in a Baptist church and just think that we've always had it this way. No, folks. People gave their lives for the truth of the Bible. People gave their lives for what I'm preaching to you. Okay? One mediator. If you're saved, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we have personal access to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Ephesians 2. Y'all know anything about that book? Ephesians chapter 2. Just hear hear the words again. Chapter 2 verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Cannot get any clearer than that. The writer of Hebrews will say this. Again, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Chapter 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You have direct access to the Father. You do not need a human priest. You can pray directly to the Father, come boldly before His throne, unhindered at all times. Why? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we participate in His priesthood, we are part of the kingdom of priests, and we now have direct access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. You don't need a human priest to make intercession for you or to make a sacrifice for you. The sacrifice has been made. It's been paid for. Full access to the Lord. Walter Murray McShane once said, If I knew I was praying in one room and the Son of God was praying for me in the other room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Well, I've got news for you. He is praying for you. He's interceding. As a matter of fact, that's one aspect of eternal security. That there's no way you can lose your salvation. Because the Bible says that our intercessor never stops praying. If he ever did, then you would be lost. But praise God, he prays without ceasing. And we need to thank God for that. But not only is he praying without ceasing for us and making intercession, but you can go boldly to the throne of grace. You don't need a human priest. you got a God-man priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, we offer up to God's sacrifices. And we may say, well, do we make sacrifices now today? Now, folks, when I say we offer up to God sacrifices, don't go home and tie a goat up in the backyard. That's not what we're talking about. There are no bloody sacrifices anymore. As priests, however, there are sacrifices that we make. Are you ready? Romans 12. I appeal to you, brothers, on the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We saw some of that, the evidences of a transformed mind last week. But here, as priests, there are still sacrifices that we make. It's the sacrifice of our bodies and life as a living sacrifice to God. Hebrews thirteen five. Here's another sacrifice that you make. And you know I harp on this a lot, but I'm telling you, folks, shame on you if you don't make this sacrifice. Are you ready? Hebrews 13.5 Through Him, who is the Him, Jesus, Hebrews 13.5 Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And if His name ever needed to be acknowledged, it's today. And the fruit of that is praise and worship to our God. The priesthood of all believers affirms The dignity of all God's people as true worshipers, as true servants of the living God. Think about this. This was the implication of the priesthood of the believer. That the reformers laid hold on with passion. Please hear me, church. For the believer, all of life is sacred. Not just when you come to church on Sunday morning and do your penance or whatever you're doing. It's not just on Sunday night if we were to happen to have a Sunday night service. It's not just on Wednesday night. All of life is worship if you're a believer. You don't go to a priest unless it's Christ. All of life is lived out as a kingdom of priests. The priesthood of all believers does not negate that there are God-appointed leaders in the church. Remember uh, Ephesians 5? He made some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastor-teachers, elders like myself and others in this church. It doesn't negate that. It doesn't negate the need for the church to be taught by godly appointed men. Okay? That's not what we're saying. It does remind us that we are our own priests before God. But we can also serve as priests for others. Did y'all know that? It's a kingdom thing. It's a corporate thing. And not only can you go directly to the Father and pray, but you can go directly to the Father and pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Right? It's a corporate thing. Luther said, we are priests as he is a priest. We are sons as he is the son. We are kings as he is the king. All priests are Christians and all Christians are priests. Was this revolutionary in a caste system? Was it? This was a system with a dividing wall between laity and clergy. Another reformer said, Christ Jesus, his once for all He once for all offered a sacrifice of eternal expiation and reconciliation. And now having entered into the sanctuary of heaven, he intercedes for us. In him we are all priests. But to offer praises and thanksgiving, in short, is to simply offer ourselves and ours to God. It was our Lord's office alone that appeased the Father, atoned for our sins as an offering... But now we have the privilege to go to our Father on our own. So, the fact that we are all priests and kings means that each of us as Christians may go before and intercede for others. Do you understand how important church life is? Luther never talked about the priesthood of the believer with the idea that this is all individual stuff. Right? It was always corporate. There was a vocation that went with this doctrine. What do I mean by that? Well, when you had clergy, the only vocations that really mattered was being a nun and a priest. If you did the other menial things, which would be any job, that was seen as secular. Okay, At the time of the Reformation, Luther thundered forth the reality that the dividing wall between secular and sacred has to come crashing down. A shoemaker, a smith, a farmer, each has a manual occupation and a work, yet at the same time, Those people are eligible to act as priests, every one of them, in their occupation, in their handicraft. They're used by God to accomplish a purpose. No matter who you are, in the sight of God, it's just as sacred to change a dirty diaper in ETC as it is to preach this sermon. Listen to me, folks. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is not the pastor driving the bus and you jumping on. You have a vocation and a gift and a calling in this church, but you also have one in the secular realm, if we want to call it that. But, folks, that's still an occupation unto God. That's still a, a sacred thing. If you're a school teacher, number one, bless your heart with what we're facing in our day. But if you're a school teacher, teach to the glory of God. Sole. glory. If you are a construction worker, hammer those nails to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a salesman, be careful here, you are to sell with the best of your ability. With total honesty and integrity as a sacred duty to the glory of God. So, it not only says all believers in Christ are a kingdom of priests. But the priesthood of the believer also says that our callings and our vocations... Sacred in the sight of our God. Now, this may sound foreign to you today. If if you've come and you say, Well, I've never been to this church, this all sounds kind of crazy. You may feel like a spectator in the arena. I want to remind you that under the new covenant, if you're a believer, there are no spectators in worship. There are none. As we gather here in this place on the Lord's day, morning after morning, to worship, You're a kingdom of priests, and you're here to declare the excellency of His name. Why? Because you've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And priests ought to sing their guts out. Amen? As priests, you offer up to God the sacrifice of praise. In reality, this morning, we had a huge choir. It was a kingdom of priests. And if you don't start singing, I'm going to fire you, right? It's not just the choir up here. You are a kingdom of priests and you've been called by God to lift up a sacrifice of praise. A fruit of lips of people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the first order of business. Amen? There's only one mediator and believe me, before a holy God, you've got to have a mediator. Job 9 Job contends with the Lord. He knows how awesome and holy God is. And he gets to chapter 9, verse 1, and he says, How can a man ever be in the right before God? And at the end of chapter 9, he says this, I need a daysman. I need a mediator. Someone to put one hand on me and one hand on God and in the court of life pronounce me innocent. And the only one that could ever do that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Job knew what he needed. And Jesus Christ supplied it. So I'm inviting you to full-fledged participation in the kingdom of priests. And how do you get it? You don't work for it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. I'm inviting you to full-fledged participation in being a kingdom of priests by placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone alone. For salvation. Why? Because there's only one mediator between God and man. On the last day, none of us are going to be bragging about being priests. You're going to simply look at Jesus and you're going to say, I don't know, but I'm with him. I don't know, but I'm with him. That's the only way you're ever going to be there, folks. It's through his blood that my sins were washed away. And it's through his obedience. Don't miss this. You don't know the full gospel if you don't think about the obedience of Jesus. He lived the perfect life. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. And before a holy God, that's that's the only way anybody could ever stand before a thrice holy God. They have to have a righteousness that is God's righteousness. Enter Jesus who knew no sin, but he became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah! Right? That's genuine salvation. So you say, I'm with him. Anything I have that I bring to the table is because of my union with Christ. It's my participation with him. The hymn writer got it right. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. He alone is our great high priest. He alone I've offered the once for all sacrifice for our sins. Do you live with confidence that the son of God is interceding for you? Folks, this means you have a relationship with God the Father through the Son indwelt by His Spirit. That's awesome. I can go straight to the living God in unhindered access because my priest is the Son of God. If anyone has the ear of the Father, it's the Son. Amen? If you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. You are His possession and you are to offer up your life as a sacrifice to God. Listen, young people. I didn't say offer up your life for sports. I didn't say offer up your life for academics. I didn't say offer up your life for a future job. If you're saved, you offer up your, your life to Jesus. It may include all those things in whatever order, but your goal is to, for all of life to be sacred. For all of life to bring God glory. Whether, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Of God, you can offer up the sacrifice of praise and live for His glory. When Natalie and I were growing up in the youth group, there was a popular uh, singing group back then called Truth. Y'all remember them? Raise your hand if you remember Truth. Come on, folks. Where y'all been? Right? Sandy Patty once sang for Truth. Did y'all know that? Larnell Harris, Steve Green. Do you know they all cut their teeth with that group? They did a song once called Holy of Holies. And I've sung this before, but I'm older now and I can't reach those notes. I was younger and I could sing higher. But the song says, In the Holy of Holies, behind the heavenly veil, stood an ark of the covenant where the Most High dwelled. And only the high priest could enter therein. But the veil was rent in an instant, revealing that holy place. And at a hill nearby, on a rugged cross, justice met grace. Now I can go, this is a course line, into the holy of holies. And I can kneel and make my petitions known. And although I'm just a common man, I'm not a nun and I'm not a priest. And although I'm just a common man, I can go into the holy of holies. Second verse says, the blood of sacrifices is no longer required. For the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb, completely paid the price. Now a sacrifice of worship will open heaven's gates. Allowing us to enter into the holy of holies. Folks, do you understand you have that access today if you're saved? And if you're lost, hear me again. There's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ the righteous. Would you come to him? Would you place your faith in Jesus only? Alone for salvation. Amen. Happy Reformation Day. Great God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for men of God who read the Bible for themselves and found what was going on in in that day of dividing the laity with the clergy. Missing the mediatorial work of Christ. Missing the preaching of the word of faith and repentance toward God. Missing that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Lord, thank you for men. There would be no Protestant churches today had you not moved like that in the 1500s. We thank you for it. Now, Lord, we've got a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, help us to take the gospel to the nations. Help our church continue along that course of preaching the good news of Christ. You haven't called us to bring everybody to Jesus, but you have called us to take everybody, take Jesus to everybody. God, help us to do that, to take the name of Jesus to every nation of this world. Father, may you save souls even in this hour if they do not know you. May you give them ears to hear, eyes to see. May you turn the light on in their heart and mind to see the beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a time of invitation. Have way. God be the glory, Amen. glad you were here today, uh, no service tonight, uh, I know it's, uh, you know, November 1st is All Saints Day, October 31st circumvents that in many ways, you, think it's, you don't think it's an accident that they push evil before the day of All Saints Day, right? Folks, with what you see on TV, be careful with your children, I just give you that advice, right, with what's going on with fentanyl and all those kind of things, just be careful. Uh, that stuff's real, what, what, what's happening in our country. And so we need to pray for divine protection for our children and our church members all the time, right? To God be the glory. I hope you have a wonderful uh, week in the Lord. I look forward to seeing you here this week. Wednesday night activities are still on, right? So God bless you. Brother David?